Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. The Links and Locks Podcast. Better than most. Better than most. Better than most. <laughs> winner, winner, chicken dinner. Four. You got real talent. Don't concentrate on golf. Hello, you beautiful degenerates, and welcome to Links and Locks, Action Network's golf betting podcast presented by Bet365. I'm your host, Roberto Arguello of Action Network. And I'll be joined every Wednesday here by my co-host, Spencer Aguiar and Nick Brettwish. Today, we'll be previewing the course at the CJ Cup and covering a wrap-up from last week, course preview, some best bets, outrights, matchups, place bets, other random bets. And then we'll look ahead to next week's Butterfield Bermuda Championship. But first, let's do a brief overview of last week. We got our first outright winner here on the pod. I had Keegan Bradley at 35-1. to So shout out to Keegan Bradley for coming home, bringing home the victory for us. Great to see him win after a little while in the PGA Tour. I believe it was 2018 when he last won. He's very emotional. And when we gamble, a lot of it is emotionless and purely about value in the numbers. But as a fan of golf, it's always fun to appreciate what goes into these guys winning every week. Uh, So a lot of fun for us. Last week, Spencer, want to get us started with a recap for your Zozo Championship? Yeah, it was, first of all, congratulations on that win. That was a nice hit to have that be the first one of the show. It's funny because like my actual betting card probably was not great last week. I lost a little bit, but most of the stuff that I talked about on the show actually won. So I had Dylan Fratelli minus 110 to come top 40. I had Satoshi Kadaira plus 220 or plus 225 to come top 40. Both of those came in pretty easily. So, I mean, it was nice to hit those. It kind of salvaged the rest of the week that had some problems. I was telling Nick off air a little bit. I ended up having a KH Lee ticket uh, in a head-to-head against Lucas Herbert, and that had a nine-shot lead going into Sunday. Lee went in one direction, Herbert went in the other, and all of a sudden ended up being a push when everything was said and done. So that's back-to-back weeks for me on the head-to-head front where I've had really bad luck. At the Shriners, it was in Friday when Wyndham Clark made a mistake. This one was on a Sunday when this came into play, but I don't know. I mean, obviously when you hit the outright winner, that's going to be like the headlines of the show for it. So uh, congratulations on that hit. And we'll try to carry that over into this week. Excited about Keegan Bradley for sure. My other two outright bets, Colin Morikawa had a really nice round two, but didn't do anything on the weekend. And then Davis rally had a really poor tournament, which yeah. if we're going to hit on an outright and have another one of our outrights miss. Love to see him miss by a lot. And now Keegan or now Davis rally's, at 110 to one out there for this week, 
little sneak preview for one of my picks again this week. Um, back to the well. I like going back it. to the I well. Like in a place, I only had one place bet last week and it didn't hit. I had Mito Pereira half unit to get in the top 20. He didn't get anywhere close to that. So all in all, still a great week. Ended up 9.8 units ahead. So we'll try to keep it rolling here at the CJ Cup. So the CJ Cup goes to Hungary Golf Club this week. And if it sounds familiar, it's because Hungary Golf Club hosted the 2021 Palmetto Championship. The Palmetto took the place of the Canadian Open because Canada has more stringent rules on COVID-19 procedures. It was canceled in 2021 and the Palmetto took the place of that tournament. But it was right before one of the majors, I think it was the US Open in June of 2021. So not a lot of players of top tier players played in that event, which makes it really exciting this week where we have 15 of the top 20 players in the world in the field. It should be an awesome tournament. And I know we're all really excited. Uh, Spencer, want to get us started with your thoughts on the course? Sure. So it's 7,655 yards, par 71 Bermuda greens. Uh, We talked a little bit last week about how this was one of the most challenging courses on tour in 2021, playing 0.26 shots under par for the field. But I do want to point out how this event is more top heavy this season, as Roberto just mentioned, and likely will produce marginally better scores. You know, even if we're still talking about the general struggle from the middle or the bottom end of the leaderboard, I don't think it would be a shock if this goes from an 11 under winner to like a 13 under 15 under sort of winner. We have wide fairways and virtually no rough, but that's going to be undone by waste areas that have random loose impediments that make it hard to attack the greens from the wrong angle. And the firm and fast nature of the surface only creates an extra dynamic of difficulty when it comes to hitting a green in regulation. We see distance amplified here by the tune of 20 yards more than at a regular tour stop because of the need to clear these waste traps. And while the greens are large, the undulation and bunkers located above and below the surface will create extra challenge for anyone teeing it up this week. You know, obviously all of that is great as a starter set to begin your research process, but I do want to mention to everyone that the data you will find will be from the one-off event here that Roberto talked about at the beginning of the show in 2021. That's worth noting since it produces numerical information that can be flawed. There's a lot of examples that you can use here, but it's no different than when football betters overreact to week one of the NFL season. Like, take it as a grain of salt here. Like, it means something, but you also don't want to go with your whole process and get carried away with something that you find. So I tried to be cautious to that point of overweighing a category. I think that can be just as dangerous as incorrectly incorporating it, but I recalculated the T to green metrics to give more of an emphasis to off the T and long iron proximity. We did see an 8.2% increase in 2021 for off the T importance and a staggering 27.9% of approach shots uh, came from over 200 yards in that year. I looked at some of your more basic rollover type stats. That's going to be, you know, strokes, strokes gain total on fast and firm green strokes gained at longer setups, how somebody performs on more difficult courses. I looked at a recalculation of all three par zones. So essentially I'm trying to find who suits this test the best. And then I looked at fairway and greenside bunkers. It's all those waste areas that you can run into problems with when you hit it off the tee. It's all that undulation that runs off into these bunkers. I want people that can protect their scores in multiple areas and, At the end of the day, like distance is going to be important, but I wouldn't say distance is the only prerequisite here if you're trying to find success. Like as long as you're in about the top half of the field when it comes to distance, I think there are ways that you can get around it. And, you know, maybe a guy like Matthew Fitzpatrick can use, like he's 35th in my model out of 78 players when it comes to distance, but the short game is so pristine that I wouldn't worry about his lack of distance as much. Nick, anything to add on that course preview? 
No, I, I think I echo pretty much everything that Spencer said. I did put a little more emphasis on around the green play, I guess. But other than that, it's going to be the long irons. I did value shorter irons from 50 to 75 yards uh, distance off the tee. Obviously, we're all going to talk about that because it is a long course and par 71. But no, I'm excited. I mean, Bermuda putting is probably going to be something that we value heavily as well. But it's a weird week for me because the placement market is pretty much sucked dry with only, what is it, 78 golfers in the field right now, I believe. Yes, yep. on the dot. So it's it's not really a tournament that I'm going to bet a lot pre-match. It'll probably be more in-game stuff. And between you and I, like, I am looking for John Rahm live around 15 to 1 because I will pounce on that. Other than that, I didn't find a ton of value in the outright market as well, but overall just such a good field. I think it's refreshing for anybody interested in the PGA to see all these guys get together to play this event. I think it should be a fantastic output and a very close Sunday. I don't think anyone runs away with it. Like Spencer said, I'm, I guess I'm projecting it to be minus 12 is the winner is what my model seems to like. So not a birdie fest by any means. And that's personally my favorite golf to watch and favorite to bet live as well. When the course is not, giving up random Eagles and stuff like that all over the place. I'm right there with you. I love it when the course plays tough, which is why the U S open is my favorite tournament just about every year. Same. Uh, Nick, what stands out to you about John Rahm this week? He's hot right now. Uh, he's coming off a tied two and then a victory overseas. So I am just, there's no data behind this for me. Like I'm sure maybe it supports this assumption that I have, but when John Rahm finds his game and he gets hot, he gets blazing hot. So I absolutely want to see John Rahm longer than 10 to one. I think everything in the market right now is right around that eight, nine. Maybe you could find anything as long as 10 to one, but I'm hoping to get something right around 15 in the live market. If not longer than that, that'd be great. When it's minus 10, minus 11, minus 12, maybe minus 13, that range, that type of tournament, that is John Rahm, especially when distance and strokes and off the tee is involved because that guy is a fantastic driver of the golf ball. And so is Rory. I'm not going to take anything away from him. There's so many studs in this field. Like the top 20 guys in the outright market, it would not surprise any of us if any of those guys took down the cup. But I'm excited to see John Rahm, especially if he's playing really good golf, which on paper overseas right now, he is playing fantastic golf. So I'm excited for him. He's one of those guys who hasn't played in the tournament th this fall yet. And he also didn't play in the president's cup because he's not eligible. So it'll be fun to see him and a lot of other players this week. Spencer, want to get us started with your first best bet of the week? Sure. I'll start us in the head to head section. I don't have a lot of bets this week. And, you know, part of that comes down to my edges just aren't as big on most of these plays. It doesn't help that we have a guaranteed four rounds from every golfer that always shrinks my advantages in all markets, but especially the head to head market. Uh, we even saw that you know, come to fruition. When we talked about this last week, there really was nothing that I had mentioned on the show. And the KH Lee play that I ended up on was something that came later in the week to begin with. Like maybe you could consider something and none of these are bets that I've put in right now, but you know, there's a Scott Stallings minus 115 over Sepp Straka, uh, Tom Hoagie minus 120 over Andrew Putnam, Keith Mitchell plus 105 over Sahit Thagala. Like those are all things that I considered but with this being a no-cut tournament and me not really wanting to have a whole ton of exposure to this, I'm just going to take one play as of right now. That's going to be Tommy Fleetwood minus 110 over Adam Hadwin. There are two main reasons behind this play. One, if we aren't going to have a cut, we need the ability for upside. Hadwin graded as a negative trajectory mover for me in win equity with how I ran my model. And two, the overall rankings for each player gave me a price that should have been closer to minus 130. Fleetwood graded 14th at both difficult courses and fast slash firm tests over the past two years. 
And we see him jump into the top five when looking directly at around the green prowess, long courses, and bunker play. On the other hand, you know, Hadwin is 19 spots below expectation and weighted proximity for Congaree over a standard track on tour, which is one of the reasons my weighted T to green number dropped to 46 in this field. That's 15 places lower than his projected output. It is important to note that my totals don't hate the Canadian since I'm not looking for their ultimate downside over four days of golf. But it's more so one of those spots where Fleetwood is undervalued in most markets because of this perception that he cannot win. And the upside is key to these events where everyone's going to play four rounds. We don't necessarily need all that upside equity here on a head-to-head wager, but I feel confident that if Fleetwood provides a top 20 for us, that we will hit this bet. You know, I was telling Nick off the air, I think it's likely, and this is a very large range to look at, but I think it's likely that Hadwin finishes somewhere between, I don't know, 30th to 45th. So in a 78 man field, if I can't handpick a golfer against him, you know, it's just one of those things where I'll just eat the loss and move on with it. And maybe the volatility that I'm taking with Fleetwood is the reason why the play doesn't come in. I mean, like, it's not a certainty that it does, but knowing that there's four days of golf and knowing that I want to try to find as much upside as I can, which is exactly what happened with that Lucas Herbert play last week. It's like, it takes one day to all of a sudden make up nine strokes. Give me Fleetwood in the upside that one of these days he goes off and Hadwin's like middling performances don't necessarily get him over the line. We need a sports book to do the name your placement market. Yes. So mm-hmm. could do, yes. You know what? I like Hadwin 33rd or, or worse. And that'd be perfect. We can get, you know, plus 200 or something on that especially for these no cut short field events. I think that'd be a lot of fun. So if you're a sports book operator out there, think about uh, adding that to your risk portfolio, if you will, that'd be nice. We'll, we'll certainly uh, be degenerates and, and throw something on there for sure. <laughs> Please do. Nick, what's your best bet of the week here at the CJ cup? It's gross. There's no placement market for me. And it's probably going to be the same thing for Spencer Fleetwood over Hadwin. Hadwin is significantly down on my model. He's not long off the tee. And like Spencer said, there's no, upside to his game really so i've been betting him exclusively in this fall swing here but that number's going to move too so if you could find it i believe spencer and i both signed off that we like right around minus 130 to be the proper number so the value's kind of dry if it gets that short but tommy fleetwood overhead one for me is probably my my best bet other than that i'm strictly on the outright market which is sacrilegious for me to say so it kind of kind of hurts my feelings that that's really the only exposure my card has is a matchup over Hadwin. But again, I'll be seeing how this course plays out on Thursday and likely move, moving on some in-play stuff on Friday. I'll ride with you guys on Tommy Fleetwood over Adam Hadwin as well. I'll start us off with the out- outrights. My first outright pick, the only one I'm playing for over a tenth of a unit this week, is Sam Burns to win the tournament at 28-1. to 1. We mentioned Bermuda putting is going to be important here, and Sam Burns is one of the best Bermuda putters on the tour among the players in this field among the elite players, he finished the highest in strokes gained putting last year on the PGA tour. So we know putting is going to be important this week, specifically on Bermuda. And he's guy, he's a guy who can win a tournament. I believe he won three or four times last year. And it just feels like he's priced a tier too low compared to a Justin Thomas, even below someone like a Matt Fitzpatrick, a lot of guys like that. I think it's a number grab. It's a little bit of a buy low spot because he hasn't had a top 10 in four months. He hasn't played a ton since then, but he has top 30s in eight of his last 11 starts. So he's someone with a pretty high floor. And if he just gets hot on the greens and with approach, I think he could win it this week. He's got a great all-around game. That's my first outright play of the week and my best bet. Guys, any other outrights we're looking at? 
Yeah, I'll, I'll kick us off here again. More like you said, everything that I did pre-tournament is going to be more of a number grab. So my model had Jordan Spieth at 24 to 1 and Shane Lowry at 25 to 1. If you look at different sports books, it seems like a lot of odds makers are a little bit all over the place with Shane Lowry. You can get him down to a 21 to 1, I believe, is a short number. Obviously, I would not advise taking that. You can find a 35 to 1 out there and Jordan Spieth at 33 to 1. So those are the two main values that I have. And then Tommy Fleetwood, my model had at 67 to one. So you can find an 80 to one out there that is still sitting out there. But other than that, just didn't have a ton of value. And again, for the placement market, it just seems like the hold percentages were, were through the roof. So it was really tough for me to, to find any value there. And exp- like the only range I did have value in is in the top 10 market. And with this small of a field, the odds of a top 10 being a tie and most of the books that I play on do not offer uh, ties paid in full. So it's just kind of, more of a save my bullets for the next round type of thing, or at least for in-game play this week. But yeah, Tommy Fleetwood, Jordan Spieth, and Shane Lowry in the outright market. But again, my favorite bet is the imaginary John Rom 15 to one live. If we can get that, I think that's where I'm going to go. I like the Jordan Spieth pick. I haven't added that to my car, but that's one of the few bets that's on my short list that I'm still thinking about. We know the last time that the PJ tour came to South Carolina at Harbor town, Jordan Spieth walked away with a win. A little bit of a similar type of golf course, not quite, not nearly as long as Palmetto, but Jordan Spieth's gotten longer over his career. And we know say, that yeah. short thing. He's bombing the ball. Sorry to cut you oh, off, but yeah, he is. His numbers off the tee recently are are nuts. Like the U.S. Open for Matt Fitzpatrick with how much distance he's put on the tee. Jordan Spieth is quietly doing the same thing. So I think that's a, a fantastic play in terms of a number grab, but putting coming into play. And then with how good he was at the president's cup, I am personally a Jordan Spieth fanboy. So let that be known out there to the listeners, but I think it's a really good number at 33 to one. And Roberto, if you can find anything better out there in Colorado, I think you, you jump all over that. That's the best I've seen so far. And as you mentioned, played great at the president's cup, went five and oh, the only player in the president's cup to go a perfect five and oh Spencer, who do you have on your outrights card? Yeah, I'll give my units that I put on each one at the end, just for like transparency's sake and bookkeeping sake at the end. So I have Justin Thomas at 16 to one. These are the spots where I have found success in the past. It's like the high end metrics that say a golfer should be nearly half of what they are, but the current form is boosting the price because of the lack of confidence from the public. Thomas profiles as a player that ranked inside the top 10 of every category I ran, finishing first or second six out of the seven times. But the perception around his form where he hasn't even teed it up since the tour championship, you know, at like very end of August is resulted in way too large of an inflation with his price. Uh, The short game looks stout. We see that with the second place mark and bunker play. And then we have a ton of first place grades for him in weighted proximity, par five scoring, weighted par three, strokes gained on long courses and fast and firm tests, as well as the all important weighted tee to green metric, which he decisively ranked number one in my model. Maybe sometimes I would worry more about the form, but as we all have kind of said about a lot of these players, he was one of the best golfers on the USA side at the President's Cup, and I wouldn't be surprised if he wins over one of his next few starts. I am on the Jordan Speak train also at 33-1. to Uh, That's going to be a number grab. I think anything above 24 to one showed as a value for me. Uh, Spice upside sees a massive increase when mimicking the data to fit Congaree. And the main reason behind that comes down to his shift in weight of proximity, an area that he's 15 spots better than expected. Um, You know, the other two wagers that I have, I took Aaron Wise at 65 to one. That was on bet 365 and Tommy Fleetwood at 80 to one. 
the wise thought process came down to his profile grading very closely to what Sam Burns was last season. We saw him take a jump as a golfer that fit, you know, these 50 to 75 to one ranges. And then very quickly Burns became a 30 to one or less shot in most of these events. I would not be shocked if wise enters that same trajectory this year. And then Fleetwood's 80 to one mark is just too high for me. Honestly, it's the lack of perceived win equity that he brings to the table that boosts these numbers, but it's a cheap shot on a golfer that, I think that most of the totals, like whether it's around the green or bunker play or any of these like historical performances, he's more of a 40 to one golfer for me than he is an 80 to one golfer. So I think there's a lot of value there. And just to throw out the risk. So that is Justin Thomas, 0.5 units to win eight. Jordan Spieth, 0.24 to win 7.92. Aaron Wise, 0.12 to win 7.8. And Tommy Fleetwood is a 10th of a unit to win eight. I like it. Since you guys both have Jordan Spieth, I'm going to hop on the bandwagon as well. I'll add him for a quarter unit. Looking at my outrights outside of Spieth and Burns, I'm playing some longer shots. So I'm going down to a land down under with Jason Day. Yes. I saw him. Let's go. Yes. I, that's We both need to hear that. The last time we saw him, Spencer was following him along and giving him the much needed morale boost that he needed to cash our bets this upcoming week. He's at 80 to 1 but I've seen him as low as 50 to one out there. So I recommend if you want to bet Jason day, do it quickly because the number's moving. Definitely shop around as always. I also like him at top 20. If you, if you can't get him at least at six to one or 60 to one, I take him in the top 20 market. He's available out there at two to one, just two events um, on tour so far this season. He gained 1.67 strokes on approach at Fortinet and 1.3 at the Shriners where he finished tied for eighth at the Shriners. I believe he had um, a closing round 63, which is the best round of the day out there in Vegas. And then he also had 9.4 strokes gained in ball striking in that tournament, which led the entire field. He's in an upswing on his form. We know that he was injured and now he's back getting healthy. And I just think the upswing on his form is just a little bit ahead of the markets. Um, although now with him going to 50 to one at some places, they're catching up and people obviously want to bet on him. So I think the time to catch Jason Day is sooner than later going to happen within the next month or so. Nick, anything else you want to add? Yeah, real quick to you, Spencer and I were talking about it before the show. The distance that Jason Day put on in uh, in Nevada too is is something to note. He is, I I think this is a, a great week. I don't know if I could bet him outright. I think I'd probably get more exposure in the DFS market to him. It doesn't seem like the field will be there. I hope he wins. That's a fantastic ticket you got. And Spencer and I are both J Day fanboys. Me, not nearly as much as Spencer, but. Yeah, and Spencer, I, I think you probably want to mention the proximities for Jason Day recently too. The like you said, Roberto, the iron play is fantastic. Yeah. So one of the ways I look at my model is is I keep always noting on here is that I run things over a two-year perspective. And then I also just like to want to look at it. I run it over the last 24 rounds to see where players are taking a massive or I guess a massive increase or decrease would be the best way to word that. So if we look at Jason Day specifically, and this isn't a 78 man field trying to grade it out of that. Uh, Day is four spots better than projection and strokes gain total, 29 spots better tee to green, 35 spots better off the tee. I mean, that's a lot of what we saw in Vegas. Like I was telling Nick, he was out driving Taylor Pendrith on almost every single hole I was watching. He was accurate. Uh, he was long. And then he's 15 spots better in strokes gain approach. The only two things that he's negative in right now would be the around the green and the putting. We know historically Jason Day is, I mean, I, I don't know if I necessarily want to say this because it doesn't mean as much coming for me. He's one of the greatest short game players probably in the history of golf. And 
you know, if he can just get that back at some point, the rest of the metrics are turning around. And when we're looking at proximity in general here, like he's inside the top 10 in multiple ranges. And that's something that my model is not picking up right now because it's taking Jason Day as of like two years ago or a year ago. And right now, I don't think he's necessarily that same player. So I think this is an intriguing spot for Jason Day. I, Roberto, I know you and I talked about this last week, and I don't have a problem with anybody that wants to punch that ticket. You know, I always seem to think that Jason Day's upside is maybe higher than most people, but it's a good course for him. And there's a lot to like about the difficulty of the track, the length of the track, and then the proximity numbers turning around. Love Jason Day this week. Another couple guys I've got on my outright card, I've got Davis Riley. 110 to one, as I mentioned earlier, just for 0.07 units. So very small play. I'm still higher on him, on him in the market. I think there's some upside there. Maybe something I can play out of later just because it's such a big number. I also like Sepp Straka this week, a guy who is a really good putter. And we know he's got upside. And in his last five starts, he's got two solo seconds and he's made every cut. We've seen him win in big time fields before as well. He won at the Honda Classic last year and he's shown he can win at hard courses. So with him at 80 to one, or sorry, 90 to one out there, I really like the number and I sprinkled um, a 10th of a unit on that as well. Any final outrights we have guys before we look at any final matchups or place bets? No, I mean, that's my card in general. I don't have much this week. And I know that's like a very boring answer that I keep giving every single week, but you know, it's gambling, like just because that there are bets to be made, doesn't mean that we need to have action on every single thing that there is like, we're trying to find value. And if there's not enough value in the market, I, none of us are ever going to force a ticket. So, and we don't have any placement bets. I couldn't find anything. The one thing that I'll throw out there that I did consider was Luke list at plus plus one fifteen to come inside the top 40. I ultimately didn't get there, but that's really the only wager at this point. Um, other than the outrights in the Fleetwood head to head that I've even considered, like, we'll see if I find anything from an in-tournament perspective, it probably won't be from an outright card because I'm so built in that direction right now, but we'll see if I can find any head to heads that I want to attack, but it's a very quiet off season for me at this point or fall season, whatever you want to call it. And as the year starts getting back into the swing of things and my stats and numbers start getting better and we get these full fields again, we'll pick up the pace as time goes on. One other play that just missed my card, who I'll be watching in live markets, uh, Victor Hovland, he's at 28 to one. He's shown some great form, two top fives in his last three starts. You know, he's long off the tee and he's great with the long irons. Ranked third on tour in last, last year in proximity on approaches from 175 to 200 yards. When a lot of guys are just trying to hit it on the middle of the green, he's someone who can put it really close there. Um, I like his upside. The short game still is holding me back a little bit right now, but I want to keep an eye on him. And then one other exotic bet that I have is that I'm considering is Sung JM to be the top Asian player at plus 225. Uh, the other four players in the field that are shorter than plus a thousand in this market are Tom Kim plus 275, Hideki Matsuyama plus 450, Siwoo Kim plus 750, and KH Lee plus 900. Sung JM hasn't won in a little while, but he's been so consistent. It seems like top 15 just about every week. Tom Kim has been playing great as well, but had a little bit of a dip last week and not a guy who maybe has done as much travel, at least going from the US to Japan back to the US again. Didn't adjust to it quite well last week. He's not super long. We know he's a great putter though. And I think his game translates to basically every course, but I think Sung JM does too. And I look at this as a way to bet 
Sung Im against Tom Kim. And if somebody else beats me, then I'll tip my cap to him. But I'm considering a 0.25 unit play on Sung Im for top Asian player. I love that. I think that's uh, we, Spencer and I, again, we're talking about Tom Kim in the DFS market and the ownership he's likely going to garner. But I think that's uh, that's a unique way to get exposure to both of them. Obviously negative in the in the form of Tom Kim and obviously you're, you're rooting for Sunjay M. I like that. I think I would lean Sunjay M to get a plus number on it. Again, if someone beats you, I think my guy would be Siwoo Kim there potentially would be the, uh, the way to go. But I mean, there's probably ways you can kind of hedge out on that live as well. If that uh, turns out to be the case, but I love Sunjay in that spot. Yeah. Just to just very quickly, just like go over where my model had everybody. So Sunjay M was third for me. Tom Kim was 10th. Hideki was 13th. I have concerns about Hideki. Like, I think he has upside, Tim, but I also think he has downside that can come into play. Uh, Siwoo Kim, 26. KH Lee, 57. So my model really likes Sungjae. I was trying to figure out a way to get exposure to him in some market. Maybe that's a unique way to go about it this week. And I think the Hovland play is, is interesting for a couple reasons. And I don't know exactly what to think of him because of the short game, but the high-end metrics that he brings to the table when it comes to total driving and all the proximity numbers, I think if you're going to try to get exposure to him, an outright ticket probably makes the most sense and just hope that he's really accurate for the week, he's long enough for the week, which, I mean, he's top 20 in my model for distance, and you just hope that the iron play is just like he sticks everything within a certain distance to where none of that becomes a problem. And look, I mean, these are professional golfers that when they get hot, anything is possible. I wouldn't discount that possibility from Hovland. I think he is extremely volatile at the end of the day. Uh, but I think it outright is a unique take with it because we know that if he puts it together, I mean, he has the skill set to win if the short game just isn't an unmitigated disaster out here. One more thought on Sung JM. Uh, he also did play in Congaree in 2021, one of the few elite players in this field that played in that tournament. He gained over a stroke on approach then, but he was just kind of a disaster everywhere else. And he was in a little bit of a rut uh, with his form. He missed three of his previous four, four cuts. So I think this is a little bit of a buy low spot on Sungjae. And I like that that exotic bet on a way as a way to get exposure to him. Sungjae, uh, just really quickly, he runs hot and cold in these moments. Like, like as you're saying, when he's bad, the iron play just goes off and like doesn't perform for like two months at a time. We know he's in form right now coming into this tournament. Like I know he had a little bit of a slip up last week and we don't have strokes gain data to exactly know how he went about it, but other than that finish, and I mean, it's still a 29th. It wasn't horrible. I mean, you have a bunch of top 15s in a row over like the last five or six before that. So we like some JM. Guys, let's take a look ahead to next week. As we said, some guys like Jason Day, you could find him at 80 to 1, but they've moved all the way down to 50 to 1. But we know we want to get these guys at their best odds when odds open on Monday morning. So we're going to give you a quick preview of next week's tournament, the Butterfield Bermuda Championship. Uh, it's going to be at Port Royal Golf Club, uh, which is a little bit shorter, 6,828 yards and a par 71 layout. Spencer, what are you looking at at Port Royal Golf Club? I'm going to be very cautious with my answer that I give out this time. So the last time I ran a model for this tournament, it resulted in the second largest loss I've taken in, the, in a week over the past three years. I probably need to go back to the drawing board and not run the same exact model that I ran for that reason. But I mean, as you said, like, at least when I looked at it last year and you can take it for what it's worth, it's a super short course. I think that's one of the reasons why like a Brendan Todd saw resurgence here in 2019. Uh, that would lead you to believe that accuracy will trump distance, but I, I don't know. I mean, the venue is so short that I'm not sure that that statement can be accurately assessed. Like 
if you look at the fairway percentage, uh, 54% of fairways were hit uh, over the last two years. I mean, that's kind of probably because players are bombing and gouging it a little bit. There was a 306-yard driving average. I'm going to go back to the drawing board. I think I probably went a little bit too much towards the accuracy approach the time before that. Like, if I run through my model, it was a lot of weighted off the tee, uh, which was geared towards the accuracy. It had approach numbers into it. Uh, there's a lot of par fours between 350 to 450 yards. I recalculated those numbers. Uh, par five birdie or better always comes into play when you have more than two. And then proximity from 150 yards and below was kind of one of the biggest things that I weighted just because it is such a short venue and it's going to be a Bermuda putting test if you want to throw that in. But I don't have a super in-depth answer this week for it. Like I, I'm, I want to make sure that it's not another seven unit loss that I take in this tournament. So I'll run numbers and see what kind of comes out with that. And as a reminder, the Links and Locks podcast is proudly presented by Bet365, the world's favorite sportsbook brand. Sign up with promo code ACTION to get Bet365's exclusive sign-up offer in New Jersey and Colorado. Bet $1 on any game, get $200 free. Spencer, anyone in particular you're going to be eyeing when odds open for the Bermuda Championship on Monday morning? No, I mean, I'd be curious to hear your answer to this. You know, I think one of the problems that's going to come into play, I don't know who's going to play this tournament. I would imagine that after this week, we're going to have a very weak field. It's probably going to be one of the weakest fields that we have in the entire fall season at this point. And I like tournaments like that for the record. Like give me these guys at the bottom of the board where we can find value. But no, I don't in particular have a name right now that's like screaming value for me. I'll, I'll, I'd like to hear your answer, but I'll, I'll run a model and I'll be sure to like release the numbers when I do come up with something. So Brian Harmon's one guy who stood out to me as someone who's sure. really not long, is generally pretty accurate off the tee. And we've seen him flash in some of these tournaments where the course isn't as hard and it's shorter, really high birdie, birdie or better percentage numbers. So I like him there. Another person I'm looking at potentially is, is Taylor Montgomery, rookie on the tour. He's playing again this week. And he's high up there on birdie or better percentage. He's tied for third so far this season, small sample size. So pick that for what you will. This is our first look at him on a really hard course this week. So I'm hoping he kind of plays poorly or at least doesn't score as well as he can. Uh, so we can get him next week at not a terrible number. Probably look at him 40 or 41 or higher. And then Davis Riley actually played well here last year, tied for seventh. Want to see how he does on approach this week. And then especially off the tee, because you know, he's had some struggles there. Nick, anything you wanted to add? Yeah, I mean, I don't know if he's going to play this many events in a row. Um, I guess he did have last week off, but I would be looking for Harris English. If we could get like a 40 or 50 to 1, he seems to be in better form. He did finish, I think, top 30 at the Shriners. Iron play was good from what I remember. So in terms of birdie or better percentage and not needing a long course to do well, and I think Harris English may be, if his health is getting back to normal, I would love to buy low on Harris English at that spot. At the Fortinet and at the Sanderson Farms, lost strokes on approach, but at the Shriners in his most recent event, he gained almost a full stroke on approach. And then we know he's a really good putter, a guy who I have been, if he plays. I have been keeping an eye on him, and I had him on my look ahead to Butterfield Bermuda Championship as Harris English question mark. So I'm glad you brought that up. Um, <laughs> nice. He's All someone right. who I'm looking at this week, and I want to see the form. And if he plays well, I'm going to pounce on him on Monday because I think a lot of people are yep. going to be, he's going to be the next week's Jason day this week. Also someone who had an injury. Uh, so he's not playing bad golf because he's bad. He's playing bad golf because he's not back into his form. So someone who won on the tour multiple times in 2021, we know he's got that winning equity. 
And I'm very intrigued to see if he plays next week and how he does this week. Yeah, I'll just throw one more player out there and it, we might get gross odds on him. But I mean, this feels like an ideal sort of a setup for a player like Russell Henley. It's kind of going in that same mentality of Brian Harmon, where you reduce some of the length and, and maybe that's where I change my model. Like I'm saying that right now, and there's a very good chance that maybe I add more weight to distance than I did the last time to try to adjust that. But Russell Henley's always one of the best short iron players in the world. Like if you look from 150 yards and in and maybe it, the number ends up being too gross. I mean, like there's a chance that he ends up like 16 to one in this field because nobody's there, but uh, I mean, I guess let's see what the field is and we can go from there. I am ready to be heard again with Russ Henley. I, that's a guy, <laughs> I don't know how much you, you know about my betting pass, but if, if Russ Henley's on a card, I usually take it besides this week because I'm not ready to get hurt this week, but next week I think I'll be recovered and ready to go back to Russ. I like it. I'm intrigued to see what his number is Monday morning. Guys, any final thoughts before we wrap it up this week? No, not, not for me, really. Um, you know, as I kind of gave the same sentiment on the show last week, but we'll pick this up as time goes on with it. It's like, it's very small cards. All of us are trying to find value where we can. And, you know, unfortunately right now, most of the value that you can find is in the outright market. And that's where none of us want to be for the vast majority of our exposure on a card. And I mean, it's just the way that it has to be right now until kind of like some of these numbers come in and the boards get a little bit longer with the players that we have. So slow little maturation process with like this show here, but uh, we should have this up full and running, you know, by the start of the 2023 season where we'll be firing on all cylinders with a bunch of plays to be had. Yeah. I think if this week had 140 players in it instead of 78 yes. with the top guys in it, I think we'd find a lot more value, but unfortunately it's not. But hopefully we can keep our streak going after we got our first winner of the of the year last year. I think it was our fourth fourth real tournament. So one for four, we got one. Let's try to keep it rolling, fellas. That'll do it for today's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Links and Locks. For more great golf content from our Action Network and Golf Bet team, check out our Best Bets episode from earlier this week featuring Golf Bet's Jason Sobel and PJ Tour's Ben Everill when they quickly run down their top 18 plays for this week's tournament. Be sure to check out actionnetwork.com and the Action Network app for all our golf betting and DFS content. You can find us on Twitter. Nick is at StixPicks, that's Sticks with an X. And then also at Tiof Sports for Spencer. You can also find me at RobertoA213 on Twitter. And you can find us on the Action Network betting app uh, where you can track all your bets you make across all of your favorite sports. That'll draw up for us again. And we hope you hit the green this week.